Names in this week's case have been changed for legal reasons. The acts and actions remain fact. Sometime in 2003, a teenage boy who we will call Mark meets a girl online in a chat room for Manchester teens. This teenage girl is named Rachel. Mark falls madly in love with Rachel, and the two are chatting a lot. Rachel even convinces Mark to turn on his webcam and get nude in front of it. Rachel, though, she will not turn on her webcam. One day, another teen by the name of Kevin joins the chat. Eventually, this teen tells Mark he better turn on his webcam and let him see him masturbate, or else his girlfriend Rachel will be abducted and raped. Apparently, Kevin has been stalking Rachel. This chat gets even more bizarre when two women from Secret Services joins the chat and one of them allegedly ends up dead. What is going on in this chat and why does it sound like a spy thriller movie? How does this all end with a different teenage boy stabbed almost to death in an alleyway? Well, come hang out with me while I talk true crime. Before I get into this week's absolutely insane case, I just want to let everybody know about a true crime podcast called Malice and Mocktails. If you are looking for not only true crime, but also a different mocktail recipe every week, then check them out. Don't hear it from me though, hear it from them. Hey friends, I'm Katie. And I'm Emily. And we're the hosts of Malice and Mocktails, a true crime podcast. We are just two sisters covering cases of both vintage and contemporary true crime. And because true crime can be a bit of a bummer, at the end of every episode, we share with you some of our favorite mocktail recipes. Join us every week, wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, make good choices. Bye. Bye. I love a good mocktail. My favorite would have to be the non-alcoholic amaretto sour cocktail. I just love that one. Anyways, let's get into this week's case. The case I am covering this week is very unbelievable, and yet, here we are. I'm going to start with the attempted murder of a teenage boy we will call John and work my way through the entire case because this gets confusing. June 29th, 2003, a 14-year-old boy named John is walking around on a hot summer's day in England with his friend, 16-year-old Mark. These are, of course, not their real names. The two are out in the greater Manchester area when they decide to cut down an alleyway called Goose Green. I'm not exactly sure if that alleyway is officially called Goose Green or if that's just something the locals call it. 20 minutes later, Mark comes running out of the alleyway, dialing emergency services on his cell phone and telling the operator his friend has been stabbed. John had been stabbed twice, 
once in the stomach, causing damage to his liver and kidney, and once in the chest. The chest wound seemed to be the worst at six inches deep. He was rushed to the hospital and almost died twice. Because of the injuries, his gallbladder had to be removed, he had to be put on a ventilator in order to breathe, and he was in a very, very bad way. Police, they want to know what happened in that alleyway. So, Mark tells them. Mark says he and John were walking down the street when all of a sudden a madman runs up to them and drags them into the alley and starts stabbing John. The man was wearing a dark hoodie and jeans and was in his early 20s. The madman then ran away out the other end of the alley. Police are like, okay. And they immediately go to the media to warn the public that some guy is running around stabbing people at random in fear he will strike again. This causes a a panic in the community. Once police dive deeper into what Mark said, it all started to come undone. The other end of the alley that Mark claims the stabber ran through, there's a 40-foot drop at the end meaning no one could get through there. Also, they checked the CCTV footage and there was no one seen entering or exiting the alley except for Mark and John. Police then arrest Mark for the attempted murder of his friend, John. What was John saying though? If he had in fact been stabbed by his friend, surely he would have told police. At first, John says, Mark didn't stab him, but then police tell him they saw on the CCTV footage that they were the only two people to enter and exit the alley. After hearing that, I guess John finally admitted to police that it was John who stabbed him. When Mark is asked again by police, so the second time they question him, he admits to doing it because the voices in his head told him to. Okay, so is this a case of undiagnosed, untreated schizophrenia? Well, no, not at all. This is where the case takes a really, really, really weird twist when Mark's computer is searched. To understand what happened in that alleyway, we need to go back about four months to an MSN chat room for Manchester teens. Around February that year, Mark met a girl named Rachel online in this chat room. She said she was 16 years old and that she also lived in Manchester. Mark had only seen one photo of Rachel and in that picture, she had long blonde hair and she was athletic looking. She claimed that she worked at a gym. She and Mark seemed to get along extremely well. Rachel had even asked Mark to turn on his webcam and take his clothes off, which he agreed to and then did. Rachel, however, she would not turn on her webcam. She said that she had had a bad experience in the past and she didn't want to use her webcam. It was only a few days later that 14-year-old John logged into the same chat room. John started talking to Mark. At some point, Rachel had told Mark that John and her were brother and sister. John then clarified to Mark that they were stepbrother and sister. Mark and John started getting along like best friends. They became very close. The two, they were really into gaming. So they would game with each other. They would turn their webcams on and they would be talking and and looking at each other while playing these video games. And it was like they were hanging out. 
Mark enjoyed his time with John, but he really wanted to meet Rachel. Mark and Rachel were practically dating now. They were even saying they loved each other and having late night sexual online chats. Mark, he really wanted to meet up with Rachel, but every time he arranged a time and a place or they would talk about a time and a place, she was always unable to make it. She was just too busy to have a meetup. One day, a guy named Kevin enters the same chat room and Kevin was very vocal about being gay. Kevin, though, he was also very aggressive and he made it clear that he is a stalker and has a foot fetish. So Kevin enters this chat room. Apparently he had pink font and I think maybe someone had asked him, why do you have pink font? And then he was like, my name's Kevin, I'm gay. And he was being very, very aggressive. And he also said, I am a stalker, I stalk people and I have a foot fetish. So this is this new guy, Kevin, in in this, this chat room. And he was being very aggressive to multiple members of this this chat room. And Kevin, he started chatting to Mark, John, and Rachel. Kevin tells them private things that only they would know about themselves. And he also tells them that he's stalking them. He's like, I know all this stuff about you uh, because I'm, I'm stalking you. Like he'd be like, oh, I know you were wearing this today or I know you, you did this today or whatever. Just like things that only someone who was watching them would know. So Kevin was telling them these things. With the information this Kevin guy was providing, it actually seemed like he was stalking them. There was no other way about it. Kevin, he sends Mark a message that says, turn on your webcam, show me your feet, and masturbate, or else I'm going to abduct and rape Rachel. What the fuck? Mark tells Rachel this and Rachel says, you don't have to do it. And Mark, he responds that he does and that he loves Rachel. She was like, no, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. And he was like, I do, Rach. I love you. So he was thinking that if he did this, his girlfriend would be safe from this crazy Kevin stalker guy. I don't know. So Mark does it. He turns on his webcam. He shows Kevin his feet and he masturbates into the camera for Kevin to see. But Kevin, he never turns on his webcam. Mark never knows what Kevin looks like. Mark thinks, okay, I've done it. I've saved my girlfriend's life. Uh, all good. Maybe Kevin will leave us all alone now. And after this event, Rachel, she agrees to meet Mark in person at a shopping center. She must feel some sort of gratitude for this heroic um I don't know if you could call it that. I don't, you know. Okay. So she must feel some type of gratitude uh, for Mark for doing this humiliating thing. Uh, Rachel, she never shows up though. They, he's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting and eventually he just heads home. So they had agreed to meet up at a shopping center, a very public place, very safe in the middle of the day. Um, she doesn't show up. So Mark heads home to ask her why. He wants to get on his computer. He wants to see that she's online and be like, hey, why didn't you meet me today? When he logs into the chat room, she's not there. When he checks his private messages, there's nothing from her. Then he checks his email. There is nothing from Rachel, but there is something from Kevin. Kevin tells Mark that despite fulfilling the sexual request, he still abducted Rachel. He says some really fucked up things. So just be warned, 
Kevin says that he beat Rachel by kicking her in the stomach multiple times. She was gang raped and waterboarded in freezing cold water and then murdered. This is what Kevin writes to Mark about Rachel. Kevin describes uh, blood-soaked sheets and her cries for help before she died. So what the fuck is going on here? Is this Kevin guy actually abducting, raping, and murdering people and then sending emails to people about it to, to taunt them? There is just no way in hell this can be happening. But Mark, he's believing everything. He's like, oh my God, like Rachel's dead. For some reason, Mark, he did not go to police with this information, which I found really odd. I feel like if he truly believed it, then why not tell anyone? I don't, he didn't even tell his parents. He didn't tell anybody that this girl that he was online dating uh, was murdered, apparently, allegedly, because he just got an email from this guy who said he was stalking her and then basically describes the abduction, rape, and murder. He doesn't tell anybody about this. Even though he didn't tell anybody, he truly believed it because Mark's mental health, it was greatly impacted after this. And this was shown in his schoolwork and other aspects of his life as he started to slip in every area, it seemed, uh, and was becoming more and more, showing more and more signs of, of being depressed. He and John were still talking and they mourned the death of Rachel together because remember, Rachel is John's older stepsister. So John, he would obviously know this, that his sister's not there. So they were talking about it. I guess they were confiding in each other about it and talking about it. Mark was still going into the chat room, but not nearly as much as he was when Rachel was, was in the chat room. But since she was apparently dead now, Mark only went on from time to time, not as much as he, he was. One day, Mark, he logs into the chat room and he meets another teenage girl named Lindsay. Lindsay and Mark start chatting and Mark falls in love with Lindsay and even turns that webcam on and performs sexual acts for her. Lindsay, however same as Rachel, does not turn her webcam on. One day, Lindsay tells Mark, I'm MI6. I'm a secret service agent for the British Intelligence Service, and I've been sent on a mission to find you here. <laughs> wow, a teenage secret service worker who gets 16-year-old boys to masturbate in front of a webcam. That's crazy. I don't that is, that's crazy. So Lindsay's mission apparently was to find Mark and have him protect John because Kevin was after John after abducting and murdering Rachel. Also, they wanted his help to find this murderous stalker foot fetish Kevin guy. <laughs> so much happening here and it's, uh, it's just gonna, go off the rails even more. I guess for some reason, 14-year-old John was very special to the British government and also to Kevin. I, I don't know. One more thing though, John, he can't know that Mark has been sent to protect him. They chose Mark because he and John are already friends. So this would be very natural looking for Mark to protect John. They're already friends. 
you will never guess what happened next. Mark receives an email from Lindsay, and this email comes in a few days later. This email says that it's an automatically generated email, and this email gets sent out. She had arranged this email to get sent out if she is ever killed. This email is a reminder for Mark to protect John. Yep, so (laughs) Lindsay is also now dead, I guess. Killed at work. She was just a teenage secret service worker for the British government. And her last words in an email are to Mark saying, protect John. Protect this 14-year-old boy. Wow. Okay. Have no fear because guess who is alive and back in the chat room just weeks later? No, not Lindsay. Rachel. Yeah, and guess what she has to say? Because (laughs) this gets even more unbelievable. She says, yeah, I'm alive. Yeah, I was abducted. And yeah, I was held prisoner. But when I was held prisoner, I was actually in a coma. And also, while I was in a coma and being held by these prisoners, I had your baby. She tells Mark she's, she's had his baby. So by this point, Mark should have known that this was all something that wasn't as it appeared. He did question this. Uh, He was like, no, we've never met, let alone had sex. And also, we have only known each other about three months. So I'm assuming he's like, hey, a baby takes nine months and physical contact and we've only known each other three months and we've never met in person so he's kind of he's he's kind of questioning things but for some reason he this isn't this isn't a breaking point for him this isn't a point where he's like okay who are you really it's not as quickly as Rachel appeared back into that chat room she was gone again and she doesn't show up ever again so I guess she's busy I don't know what she's doing Guess what, though? Another secret service worker joins the group. Okay, a senior position agent named Janet. Janet claims to be in her 40s, unhappily married, but she makes a point to tell Mark she's still hot. She says something like, unhappily married in my 40s, but still hot or but still sexy, something like this. And I'm like, oh, my God. What 40-year-old professional woman is going into chat rooms seeking out 16-year-old boys and telling them this? Janet seems to type with all capital letters all the time for some reason. She also refuses to speak in slang and she wants proper English and spelling used at all times. It seems Janet is more of a authoritarian. Uh, apparently she worked with Lindsay before, but Lindsay was in a junior position and Janet is in a senior position and she seems to be like this whip cracking, domineering, secret service, secret spy, sexy, still sexy Janet. She said uh, she would use this cover of being a real estate agent. That way she could still travel while doing her, her secret service agent work and not be noticed. So that was her cover. She said she, she covered as a real estate agent. It's Janet who tells Mark 
the secret services, they want you to work for them and they will pay you millions and millions of pounds to do so. And you will get to meet the prime minister and the queen. Wow. What a fucking job offer for a 16-year-old boy sitting in a chat room. Before Mark could be officially hired, he had to complete a job. And only then would he get his license to kill and his agent number in a ceremony in London. Maybe that's where he was going to meet the prime minister and the queen and get his millions and millions of pounds. His mission was to protect a former Secret Service agent named James. This agent apparently had the code to a safe, and this safe was located at the bottom of the sea, and it was containing priceless treasure. Priceless treasure. Only he and the queen knew the code. This former agent, James, well, check this out. James is actually 14-year-old John. James was his secret service name. (laughs) And Mark is best friends with him. So again, his mission is to protect John. Let me get this straight. Let's just recap. Lindsay wanted John protected because of Kevin. Then she died. And we never hear about this Kevin guy again. But we do hear from Rachel, who was apparently murdered by Kevin. But she comes back and now she's gone again. Now, still sexy Janet, who is also a Secret Service worker, has entered the chat and tells Mark he has to continue to protect John because John is actually a 14-year-old former Secret Service agent with a secret code to a secret safe at the bottom of the ocean filled with treasure the Queen gave him. Am I, have I, is anything missing there? Now that Mark has this mission to protect John, he asked John, hey, do you want to like hang out in real life? Like a lot. Now, I'm unsure how many times they had met up in real life before. I think maybe a few, uh, but now they are spending a lot of time together. I think it was like basically every day after school in person. By the sounds of it, John was bullied at his school, which is really sad, and he wasn't really popular. Uh, Apparently, he was bullied because of his race. He was bullied because he had a lot of friends that were girls. Uh, People used to call him gay and just bully him, which is just terrible. And Mark, Mark was the opposite of John. Mark was apparently very good looking. He had a lot of attention from girls. He was very sporty and fit and, and um, yeah, basically the opposite of John. So without knowing their true identities, it's really hard to dive into their backstories. But I did read in Vanity Fair that Mark came from a stable family with both parents, whereas John actually found out through snooping and reading his birth certificate that who he thought was his biological father actually wasn't. And as a baby, John had actually been kidnapped by his biological father. So there was something really crazy happening there. Uh, Then the man he thought was his biological father, but wasn't left. And then his mother remarried to a, a different man. So it seems like John may have some issues where he feels everyone is lying to him maybe he has some trust issues maybe he has 
issues about uh, fitting in or people leaving him. I mean, I'm not a, a psychologist, but I could imagine there was some trauma there for John. That sounds quite traumatic. He and Mark start meeting up a lot after school to hang out. John, he thinks he's fulfilling a secret service mission and that this will lead to him getting paid millions and millions of pounds. Spoiler alert, it will not. Uh, Still sexy Janet, she's uh, still chatting with Mark, still letting him know that she's watching him when he's protecting John. And just to really seal the deal, still sexy Janet gives... Uh, mark details of what she sees when they're watching him that only someone would know had they been watching mark and john janet tells mark that he has to get john out of school as one of his missions so she's giving him these little side missions and one of them is get him out of school and mark does uh john's mother finds out that he's left school that he's skipping class because i'm assuming the school notified her and she was pissed off. She went out looking for him and, and she actually found him at Mark's house. And I don't even think she really knew who Mark was. So how she found him, I have no idea. If I had to guess, I'd say she searched his computer and found messages between him and Mark about possibly this plan to skip school, um, which would also make sense because both of their mothers do end up searching their computers and find these messages from still sexy Janet were discovered, which is not going to look good. I think he said she was like 44 and it just, I mean, Mark's computer would have been like, Hey, get naked and do sexual things in front of your webcam. It just didn't look good. And the mothers were like, Oh my God, who is this still sexy Janet lady telling you guys to skip school, giving you missions, telling you to get naked in front of the camera. Just a mother's absolute worst nightmare. Search their child's computer and and see something like that. And the mothers, they tell their kids, don't talk to this woman. You know, stay away from her. Don't talk to her at all. She's not a Secret Service agent. The boys agreed. They didn't listen, obviously. The mothers even made some attempt to keep the boys off of the internet, off their computers. But eventually they were back on them, back in these chat rooms. And one day Janet says to Mark, your next mission is to have some kind of sexual experience with John to frame him into looking gay. Mark, he accepts this mission. This new mission leads to a sleepover one night at John's house. Janet made sure to let Mark know that the Secret Service agents would be watching to see if he goes through with this mission. And that night, Mark and John they start watching porn and without going into detail there was oral sex involved between 16 year old mark and 14 year old john janet informs mark over private chat that his mission is complete and that he will soon be given half a million pounds a gun a license to kill and the chance to meet the prime minister because he completed this oral sex mission on a 14 year old boy before this ceremony can take place though janet asks mark could you kill someone close to you and mark responds something like yes janet now has a new mission for mark that mission 
to kill John. Janet tells Mark he has to assassinate 14-year-old John as his first mission working for the Secret Services. If he does this, he will be given a contract, 80 million pounds, and sexual favors from Janet. Again, what the fuck even is this? But let's keep going because we're almost out of the thick of it. Mark is reluctant to kill his best friend and Janet assures him that John has a bad, painful brain tumor and is going to die slowly and painfully. This isn't murder. It's a mercy killing. This is how this is being brought forward to Mark. Then a few days later, John messages Mark saying he has a brain tumor. Now Mark really believes he has to carry out Janet's mission. He believes this is a mercy killing. I'm going to read a bit of messages I found in a Vanity Fair article between Janet and Mark on June 28th, 2003. This is one day before John was stabbed in that alleyway. Mark, you want me to kill him? That's what you're asking me? Janet, yes. Mark, and just leave him to die? What should I say to him? Just stand there a minute while I stab you? Janet, you love him. Mark, I love him, but this has to be done. Janet, take him to a quiet place. Buy a knife, dot, 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 glove. Mark, where can you buy knives from anyway? Janet, Boots. So Boots is a place in England where you can buy all kinds of stuff, including including knives. I think it's like a discount store, or like a, a store that sells everything. So this is where Janet tells him to go buy a knife from. She also told Mark to say, love you, bro, and trust me to John as he killed him. And also to make sure he knows you love him. These are the things she's saying to Mark about killing John. Make sure you say, love you, bro, trust me, and really make sure that he knows you love him as you're stabbing him to death. This is what... Janet is telling Mark to do to John. Unfortunately, Mark, he's believing all of this because on June 29th, he sets out to meet up with John. He buys a knife, like Janet told him, and he brings John down a quiet alleyway. Janet has instructed Mark to call off the mission if at any point he heard the signal. And the signal to abort the mission would come from a passerby or it would come through loudspeakers because they were in the city and the in the code would be 6969 that's the code 6969 the number is 69 twice okay this <laughs> what so mark he listened for this code the entire time hoping to hear it but he never did as the two walked down the alleyway, Mark took the knife out. He told Mark, I love you, bro, and then stabbed Mark in the chest. John collapsed to the dirty alleyway ground and he yelled for an ambulance. As John was on the ground, Mark knelt down beside him and shushed him. He was like, shh, and then he's like, people will hear you. Please be quiet. And then John yelled, you killed me. And then Mark told him, like, don't say that. He said, don't let that be the last thing you're saying. And then Mark brought John back up to his feet, like lifted him back up to a standing position and then stabbed him again in the stomach. 
He waited for the Secret Service agent Janet to show up, but she never did. Surprise, surprise. So then he called emergency services saying a madman had stabbed his friend. Wow. That is quite the dramatic scene. And it's pretty crazy that Mark would just meet someone online and then follow their every direction into murdering somebody. Like that. that is so scary that people can be manipulated like that it it, it's terrifying so janet she had instructed mark not to tell police about his mission to kill assigned to him from the secret services he just he was like don't tell them that that's a secret and she said that she would appear on scene as a detective she would look like a detective she would go undercover as a detective to make sure that he wasn't a a suspect then she said she would appear at the police station to get him out of there and mark he must have believed her because he was looking for her he was waiting for her he was like which one is her you know this will be my secret service agent who's gonna give me lots of money and sexual favors and this license to work for the secret services and i don't and know all this shit first he said first he tells police a madman did it then he said voices in his head told him to do it then after about a week goes by mark realizes that janet the still sexy super secret spy for the british government isn't showing up so then he tells police everything police are like what the fuck why is this kid making up such crazy lies But then they realize, to Mark, this is the truth. He really believed that a Secret Service agent named Janet, who was in her 40s, gave him these instructions to kill John. John, he's still alive. Mark is now arrested for attempted murder. He spilled the beans on this Janet woman who assigned Mark to assassinate John. And the police, they go and they start searching their computers, obviously. Because he's like, yeah, this Janet woman's been chatting to me. And they're like, oh, really? Let me see everything. And police find all these private chats on Mark's computer. Apparently, all the chat info had been saved by some type of program on Mark's computer, unknowingly to him. He didn't even know he had the software on there, but it was like compiling all of his chat details. And this really helped out police. They had everything. All police had to do now was piece together who Janet, Rachel, Lindsay, and Kevin were. But at first, they didn't even know they were connected. But this is going to take a long time because there is a lot of data. They also searched John's computer as well. And this is where things get weird. Yes, even more weird than what we've already got. I'm just going to say what you are all probably thinking Most of you have probably put this mystery together. All of those people were John, a 14-year-old boy. Janet was John. Rachel was John. Lindsay was John. Kevin was John. All the sexual acts Mark had done in front of his webcam were all viewed and instructed to do so by 14-year-old John. None of those other people ever existed. It was all always John. He was playing out a fantasy. He was coercing 16-year-old Mark into sexual acts, including oral sex. 
The other incredibly shocking thing is that it was John who set up his own murder. And this took police a while to figure out because there was just so many messages and emails and characters. Actually, there were about 58,000 lines of dialogue to be looked at. And uh, Sally Hogg, a police analyst, told Vanity Fair it was 133 gigabytes that they had to go through. She goes on to say that that would be about 46,000 feet high if it was on physical paper. So I don't know if she means like stacked up or like end to end or what, but that's fucking high. So I guess there was a lot of chatting and emails and private messages and all that shit happening in the last four months. A lot, a lot, a lot. The thing that connected all of John's characters together were the use of one misspelled word, the word maybe. That's right. All of these characters spelled the word maybe, my by, M-Y-B-Y-E. And that's how they were like, okay, all of these characters have to be the same person typing this because this is weird. And it was always that word, my by, my by, my by. What became quite impressive, it was undeniably impressive that this 14-year-old boy wrote every character in such detail. Every character had their own email address. Every character had their own way of talking. Every character was meticulously thought of and each given a personality. They all spoke differently, typed differently, used different fonts, uh, all had different demeanors. It's almost hard to fathom that a 14-year-old boy was this detailed. At first, police thought it was a ring of pedophiles targeting Mark. They thought this was adult men doing this. And if I were to guess what John's doing now, I would say he he's probably got a book deal. I'd say he's probably writing fiction. Police also found that this Janet woman, this character, signed in to chat, into this chat room, on John's computer when John was the only one home. So they start looking at times. They start putting all this stuff together. AKA John is Janet. John, he's arrested and he's charged with inciting his own murder. Never in British court history has a charge like this ever went to court. This is the first time anyone in the British court system has been charged with inciting their own murder. Ever. Both boys pled guilty, John to inciting his own murder and Mark for attempted murder. Their punishment was probation. I believe John's was three years and Mark's was two. The conditions were they could not have contact with each other and neither of them could go online without someone supervising them. And I mean closely supervising them. Why did John do it though? Why create all these characters and an elaborate plot? Why all of these sexual requests and then planning his own murder? What's happening here? What was happening with John? Why go to great lengths to do this? Maybe it's because John was bullied in school. He also wasn't getting along with his family either. I'm sure he felt some form of betrayal there after finding his his birth certificate. And eventually he got addicted to his computer. He wasn't sleeping. He wasn't eating. He was just on his computer in these chat rooms all the time. He liked being someone else. And 
clearly he lacked control in keeping these fantasies in check. Why he wanted to get someone to kill him though, if I were to guess, I'd say maybe that's because his lies were so big now, he thought this was the only way out. It was clear that John wanted Mark to make sure that he killed him because before the stabbing, quote unquote, Janet, who is John, told Mark via chat, don't use a pocket knife, use a big knife. So like micromanaging this because he didn't want to leave any room for error. He's like, don't use a pocket knife, use a big knife. I mean, that's, he wanted this to go right. He wanted to die. And maybe John just kept thinking about Mark finding out that he had been getting nude and masturbating for him instead of the women he thought he was chatting to. I'd say there's a high probability that John was in denial about being gay and um, he was really attracted to Mark because he does say, I believe it was to a therapist, he does say, yeah, um, Mark was out of my league. So was all this an elaborate plot to take advantage of Mark and to get him to fulfill John's sexual fantasies I don't know did Mark actually think all of this online stuff was true some people think somewhere in Mark's head he knew it all wasn't true so why he went along with it it's all unknown others think he did believe it even John though he has his doubts and he tells his therapist quote Mark must have known at some point that these characters were not real were there signs? Well, apparently after the Rachel character was killed off, John or, or one of his other characters said to Mark in a chat, quote, would you hate me if I told you I pretended to be Rach one night, unquote. So, I mean, wouldn't that cast a lot of doubt in Mark's mind about the credibility of the people he's been talking to? A chilling bit of information about this case is when you learn John was Janet and all the other characters is that John knew that day he met up with Mark, he was going to be stabbed. He knew. In fact, during that day, Mark asked John, hey, will you help me pick out a big knife to buy? And John said yes, and then did it, knowing full well that knife was going to be used to kill him later. This entire case is just implausible. And yet here we are talking about this case on a true crime podcast because it actually happened. I really hope John got the professional help he needed. It's clear there was some mental health issues happening there. It's just such a wild case. I mean, the perpetrator was the victim and the victim was the perpetrator. You cannot write this stuff. This is like some kind of true crime paradox or something well that concludes this week's episode there is one more thing I want to talk about it's completely unrelated to the case and that is well I don't usually do too much small talk on my podcast but this morning I went to the thrift store and they had a box of cds and I'm assuming someone had just freshly dropped off a bunch of CDs or something because there were some good ones in there. I'm so I bought four CDs but the woman accidentally rang up five CDs so I paid for five and then I was like oh hey I only have four and she's like oh sorry and I'm like no no that's okay I'll just go pick out another CD. Um, so I ended up with five CDs. I'm gonna name off all the CDs and then 
I want you to guess which one you think was my add-on, <laughs> okay? So number one, Nelly Furtado, the Whoa Nelly album. Number two, a special edition J.J. Kale album. Number three, a Jimmy Eat World album. Number four, Savage Garden Affirmation album. And number five, Shakira Laundry Service. Which one do you think I added on in the very last second because I was charged for five but only bought four? One, two, three, four, or five. If you guessed four, Savage Garden Affirmation, you are correct. I actually do not know what's on that CD. (laughs) But she had already charged me for five CDs, so I thought, oh, what the hell? I'll just grab another one. But how good is that? How often do you find that many bangers in a thrift store CD box for $2 each? Not often. When I saw that Shakira Laundry Service album, oh, I got excited. Then I think the next one I found was JJ Kale. And I was like, okay, what's, what is happening right now? What is in this box? Let me go through it all. And um, that's my little thrift store story. If you would like to see a picture of these CDs, head on over to Instagram at hellno underscore a true crime podcast. And please comment underneath it which one you guessed I added in at the very last second because I had to or lose out on $2. (laughs) I'm very curious to know what, what your guess was. You can also get weekly updates there and also on the TikTok, which is also hell no underscore a true crime podcast. Please rate the podcast five stars. If you're on Spotify right now, it says I have over 150 followers. I believe only 37 of you have rated my podcast. So please take that second, hit that five star. I would really appreciate it. And also keep sharing with your friends. The podcast is growing more and more every day. Thanks for listening and see you next week.